All right, good morning, familia. 35 verses. You know how long that sermon is going to be. <laughs> Welcome all to Bible Church. Uh, today we continue in our journey through the Gospel of Matthew, and we are looking at the last night before Jesus goes to the cross. And I think that that night is significant for many reasons, but one of the main reasons is because that night we get to see the reason why Jesus had to go to the cross. See, I, I think that a lot of people, when they, they think about the reason why Jesus goes to the cross, um, you know, they got different opinions. And I think that their opinions sometimes are, it may be right, right? Some people think that Jesus goes to the cross um, just to show us how much God cares for us. And that may be true, right? Uh, some of the people think that Jesus goes to the cross uh, just to show us how much God was willing to do for us. And I think that that is true, right? Some of the people think that uh, Jesus has to go to the cross to show us how good God is. And I think that that's also true. And some people think that part of the reason why Jesus does all of that is because he wants to inspire us and motivate us so, so we change. And I would say, uh, yeah, there's, there's part of that. There's part of that. I, I, I don't think that there's anything intrinsically wrong with that. And I don't think that the cross is anything less than that. But for sure, it's much more than that. See, if we only pick any of those options, and we don't understand the real reason why Jesus goes to the cross, then we really don't understand the necessity of the cross. And if we don't understand the necessity of the cross, then we also don't understand the magnitude of the sacrificial love of Christ. Unless we truly understand why is it that Jesus had to go to the cross, we don't understand his love, and also we don't even understand sin. So this is what we're going to talk about today by looking at two different tables. First, we're going to look at the Lord's table and the interactions that Jesus has with Judas and the disciples. And then for point number two, we're going to look at Jesus at Bethany at another table. So these are my two points for today. The table of pain and the table of love. The table of pain and the table of love. Uh, let's go with point number one, the table of pain. Let me start by uh, making a statement here. We sin because we are sinners. We are not just sinners because we sin. Let me say it again because you guys look confused. We sin because we are sinners. We are not just sinners because we sin. There's got to be at least a person or two that's saying, oh my goodness, this is going to be one of those complicated sermons. No, not at all. It's actually going to be very clear, I think. I think that the Bible only explains or talks about one of those positions. I don't think that the Christian way to describe what it means to be a sinner is to say that we are sinners because we sin. I think that the Bible makes it clear that the reason why we call ourselves sinners is because we are sinners. And that's why we sin. If it's the other way around, if you want to stop being a sinner, it's super simple. I'm going to give you the solution right now. Stop sinning. And if you stop sinning, then you're no longer a sinner. Then you could go. But because the Bible makes it clear that that is not what it means to be a human being and a Christian, 
I'm going to make the argument that it is because you are a sinner that it's so hard to kill our sin. See, it is part of our fallen nature. It is part of our natural struggle, even as believers. This explains why is it that you keep trying to die to certain sins, and you have died to certain sins, but there are other sins in which you still struggle with. How many of you guys still struggle with something? Is there anyone here that does not struggle with anything, and we will call you a liar? (laughs) See, I actually think that there are sins that even if the Lord does everything, let's say, that sin is not going to go away. That's part of what it means to be a sinner. We are sinners not because we sin. We are sinners because of our fallen nature. We are sinners. And so my job for the next two hours is to try to convince you here. Why is it that that's the case? And I'm going to give you four features or four descriptions of why is it that our sin is so profound and why is it that our sin is so dangerous? Because it's only when we see it that we get to grasp the necessity of the cross. Ready? I need you to look at the person next to me and, and, and just say, you, you got to get ready. Go ahead. All right. To talk about this, then, we're going to start with Judas. I think that he is a perfect example of what it means to be a human being. Um, and if you remember, at the beginning of the text, we see Jesus being anointed by this lady without an expensive perfume. And the text says that all the disciples complained. All the disciples complained because they considered that what the lady was doing was a waste. Actually, their suggestion was that if we would grab the perfume and then sell it, we could use that money to help the poor. All the disciples complained. What is interesting, though, is that when you look at the Gospel of John, which is where we find also this narrative, John John adds to the conversation. And he tells you that even though all the disciples complain about this, there was something different about Judas. That Judas also objected this, also complained, but for a different reason, for a different motive. Actually, the Gospel of John says that the motive was that he was greedy and that he was a thief, meaning that every time he collected the money, because he was kind of the, tre- uh, the treasurer or the, the bookkeeper of the, of the group, every time there was money coming in, he would do something similar to this. One for Jesus, one for me. One for Jesus, one for me. Now, it is with that behavior that we see the first feature of sin. Sin is always greedy. Sin is always greedy. It always wants more. It is never satisfied. It always demands more. It craves for more. It seeks more to the point that the person could do the unthinkable. Isn't that the reason why Judas exchanged his Savior for 30 pieces of silver? If you paid attention to the reading, you notice that the chief priests and all the religious leaders had already decided that they wanted to kill Jesus. So guess who Judas is going to talk to? The text says that he goes to talk to the chief priest. And look at the proposal. Verse 15. What are you willing to give me? Whatever you want to give me. 
If I deliver him over to you. So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver in our time, it'll be something equivalent to a $100 bill. Judas exchanged his savior for a $100 bill. You have to remember that, Je that Judas had been walking with Jesus for three years. He already knows who Jesus is. At least he heard who Jesus is. He already knows what his heart does. He already knows that he's a God of compassion and love and truth. But that's the reality of the nature of sin. It doesn't matter how much you have. You always want more. You always, quote unquote, need more. To the point that you are willing to sacrifice the very people that love you. Sin is profound and sin is dangerous because it's greedy. Feature number two. Sin is not only greedy, but it's deceitful. So Jesus is sitting with the disciples celebrating the Passover meal. I mean, this, this part of the text is crazy to me. I preach this sermon I don't know how many times, and every time I preach it and think about it in the study, I go through the same thing. Jesus is having this meal with the disciples. And he publicly announced that one of the disciples is going to betray him. And in verse 22 says that the entire group got very sad. And then you started to ask the question that anybody would ask. Is it going to be me, Lord? <laughs> I mean, who asked that question? Now, this is where it gets, the story gets even more crazy. Because every time someone says that, the entire group can hear one another. You know how I know that? Because we know that the table was like kind of a, a U-shaped table. You know what that means? That, um, that Leonardo da Vinci got his picture wrong. <laughs> you know how he had a table, like a long table, just in the middle, and you got all these people looking at each other. That was not how it was. Great painter, awful theology. So we know that the table was more like a, like a U-shaped table. Therefore, they could see one another, talk to one another, and hear one another. So Jesus says, one of you is gonna, going to betray me. They start to ask, is it going to be me? Is it going to be me? Notice nobody says, I think it's going to be you. No, it's going to be me. But look at what happened in verse 23. Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. Keep in mind that everyone could hear this. Keep in mind that this is a U-shaped table. Keep in mind that Jesus says, the one that already did this is going to betray me. See, we know, because the rest of the Gospels, where Jesus is, which is in the middle, because the host would always sit in the middle, we know who is on his right, because he's John, because the gospel shows us that. And now we know who is on his left, because he says the one that dipped his little thing is the one that is going to betray me. Now, I don't know what your reaction is, but I'll tell you what my reaction is. Or it would be. If I'm sitting at that table, man, I'm going to look where I'm sitting. And I'm like, it couldn't be me. 
I'm like so far from Jesus. And then I would start thinking about, okay, so who here is going to be that person? And I would start doing some sort of assessment. And then you come to the conclusion that there's only two options. Either John or Judas. And then I would start doing this. Hmm. Let me think about John for a second. It'll be the most natural thing to do, don't you think? Hmm. I mean, John looks weird. <laughs> he wears sandals all the time. <laughs> but he seems to have a really nice relationship with Jesus. And then I will look at Judas, and I'll be like, hmm. I got questions about that guy. No, that's not what the Bible says. Actually, look at what happens in verse 25. Then Judas, the one who would betray Jesus, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. And Jesus answered publicly, You have said so. You guys crazy about that? No one said anything. No one made an assessment. No one goes to, and I use this before, no one goes to John and says, uh, you know, we noticed that when we went, went out to cast out demons, your demons always came out. But then they go to Judas and says, you know what we noticed? Now it makes sense. When we went out to cast out demons, your demons never came out. No one is doing that. Do you know why? Because no one knew. No one expected to this disciple that walked with Jesus for three years, that heard the things that Jesus said, that saw Jesus in action, that got to taste and see the heart of Jesus. No one even expected that he would be the traitor. You know why? Because sin is always deceitful. It deceits others, and it deceits you. That's how profound and dangerous your sin, your sin is. See, you would think that Judas is the one with the problem, the only one with the problem. You would think that only Judas is the one that is deceitful here and that he's deceiving himself. But I want to show you that he also, he was not the only one struggling with this deceitful thing. Did you see the reaction of Peter and the rest of the disciples? So Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And look at Peter's response in verse 33. Even if all fall away, on account of you, I never will. You know how low Peter's EQ was? You know his emotional intelligence reading the room. Actually, we know how drastic his answer was because the Gospel of John tells us that he actually said, even if all of this fall away, I will never fall away. Listen, if I'm one of the disciples, I will want to smack Peter on this spot. <laughs> what makes you think that you're better than me? What makes you think that, uh, you know, that you don't have sin? What, what, what's the issue? 
But see, the Bible is not going to allow us even to speculate on that because the, the, the rest of the disciples thought exactly the same way. You know how I know that? Verse uh, 35. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said exactly the same thing. I'm not going to betray you. I'm going to stick with you. You will never be alone. And this is how we know that Justin Bieber is a good theologian, you know? <laughs> never say never. What did they do? Exactly what they said they wouldn't do. At that table, not only Judas deserved the punishment. Everyone deserves the punishment. Sin is so profound, so dangerous. Because it is greedy, and it's also deceitful. It deceives others, and it deceives yourself. It deceives yourself. You deceive yourself. Feature number three. Sin is blinding. You remember this verse? Verse 23, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl, that is the one that is going to betray me? I already mentioned this, but this is how we know that Judas is sitting next to Jesus. What you probably don't know, or you probably do, is that in that context and in that time, whoever you sat next to you, whether it's in your right or on your left, would be the people that you wanted to honor the most will be the people that is the closest to you. It'll be family members or really close friends. And Jesus is intentional about this sitting arrangement. Jesus is intentional about asking Judas to sit next to him. Jesus is intentional about washing the feet of Judas. Jesus is intentional about giving him a place of honor. And dignity before the rest of the group. Jesus is intentional about participating in communion with him. Jesus is intentional about passing the bread to him. Which in that culture and in that time when you extended that. Oh, it was almost like saying, I want you with me. And Jesus knows that he's going to be betrayed by the very person that he's giving this honor to. I want you with me. Judas also heard what Jesus was about to do for all of them, including him. Verse 28. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins, including Judas, I'm going to die for this sin too. You can have my forgiveness. Why is it then that Judas could not respond? Because his heart was hard. 
because his heart was greedy, because his heart was deceitful, because his heart could not see. He could not see how much Jesus loved him. He could not see what Jesus was willing to do for him. He could not see how much Jesus desired to be with him. He could not see how much Jesus wanted his freedom. He could not see how much Jesus wanted the very person that would betray him. Isn't that crazy? Sin is so profound, so dangerous, that not only is greedy and deceitful, but it's also blinding. It doesn't allow you to see the magnitude of the love, the mercy, and the grace of your Savior. Feature number four. Because sin is all of that, sin is also lethal. It kills you. And it killed Jesus. It killed Judas. Do you know what I find interesting about that specific event? Is that G Judas, at least in theory, he knows that if he repents, he can be forgiven. I mean, Jesus has done it already. He knows in theory that if he repents, he can be forgiven. There's no reason why he would think otherwise. Look at the rest of the story. But he can't. Because he couldn't even see the forgiveness of Jesus. And his sin and his guilt killed him. You remember how he died? He hanged himself. Sin is so profound, so dangerous, that it's greedy, deceitful, blinding and also kills it kills you and he killed Jesus so here's a question if that is true and I believe the Bible says it is then what's the solution well, I already told you, if you understand how profound your sin is, then you start to understand why is it that what Jesus did was so important. And not only what Jesus did, but why he did it. So with that, we're going to go to point number two. We're going to talk about the table of love. And what I told you before is that in this story, there are two tables. The Lord's table, but right at the beginning of the text, we find Jesus at Bethany, sitting or reclining at another table. And the text says that this is the house of a man named Simon that used to be a leper. And they're having this celebration, and Jesus is having a good time, and the disciples are there, and when that's happening, verse 7, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. 
which she poured on Jesus' head when he was reclining at the table. Now, Matthew doesn't say who that woman is, but the Gospel of, Matthew, uh, the Gospel of John tells us that this is Mary, the sister of Martha, the sister of Lazarus. And that family happens to be very important to Jesus. And the Gospel of John tells us that the perfume she used was a very expensive perfume because it was worth one year's salary. So whatever the salary was in that context and at that time, that's how expensive that perfume was. And when she pours this perfume on Jesus, she does it as an act of devotion and appreciation and she does it because she truly believes that Jesus is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. She believed that Jesus will be the one sent by God to deliver her people, uh, his people from the bondage of slavery. Now, you remember that the disciples saw all of this and they get upset and they think that it's a waste. But look at how Jesus reacts in verse 10. Aware of this, says the text. Jesus said to the disciples, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. And he's about to use this woman to correct and, you could say, fix the disciples. The word beautiful there can also be translated as fix. So Jesus is saying to the disciples, why are you giving her such a hard time? If she's doing something that fits me, it's something that people ought to do because it fits me. I am the Messiah. Now, the text also says that as Mary is doing this, she actually does not understand the significance of the events. Because what Jesus explained is that that event was going to prepare Jesus as he's going to the cross. Verse 12 and 13. She did it to prepare for me, uh, prepare me for burial. Truly I tell you, where, uh, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. That's a beautiful statement because Jesus is saying, wherever there is a church, wherever there is a preacher, wherever there is a Bible, wherever there is the gospel, people will have to remember this woman. So now we ask, what is it that we can learn from Mary? What is it that she understood and came to grasp that truly transformed her to the point that sin started to lose power in her? See, I want to make the argument that part of the reason why we all sin and we continue to struggle with sin is because we are looking always for something, longing always for something. I want to make the argument that part of the reasons why Judas did what he did is because in his sin, he is looking for something, he is longing for something. See, if sin is greedy, that's because we long for satisfaction. Part of the reason why Judas surrendered to the things that he surrendered and he needed more money and he needed more things and he wanted more things is because deep down in his heart, he, he craved satisfaction. He never found it, though. 
But Mary did. She found it on the one that truly satisfied. So and so much that she's got this expensive perfume in one hand and Jesus on the other hand, and she puts them together, and in her head and heart, she says, Jesus is much more beautiful, much more better, much more satisfying than the whole work of a year. Can you see why Mary finds satisfaction in Jesus? She found in Jesus the one that could speak to her soul. This is why this is the first woman we find at the feet of Jesus, learning from Jesus. She found in Jesus the one that weeps with her. You remember that when her brother died, instead of giving her a, luck, a, luck, a lecture, he weeps with her. She found in Jesus the one that has the power to resurrect the death. Then she witnessed what Jesus did for her brother. Jesus was the satisfaction Judas was looking for, but Mary found. Jesus truly satisfies. See, his sin is deceitful. It's because deep down inside, we want to control what people think of us. And because we all want to be accepted and loved and appreciated. This is the crazy thing about Judas. He already had it and couldn't see it. But Mary did. See, in that culture and in that time, a woman would be undermined, undervalued, and rejected. And she found in Jesus the one that honored her, welcomed her, loved her, and appreciated her. She found in Jesus the one that would spend time with her and teach her what she needed to learn. She found in Jesus the one that would defend her, even going contrary to the disciples. Can you see that this is, that Jesus was the honor, the love, the, appreci the appreciation that Judas was looking for, but Jesus, that Mary found? See, sin is blinding because we really don't want to see how messed up we are. And sin is blinding because we don't want other people to see how messed up we are. That's part of the reason why we struggle being vulnerable. This is part of the reason why Judas couldn't come to Jesus. But Mary did. John chapter 12 tells us that she found in Jesus the one that she could be completely vulnerable with and she got accepted. John 12 says that she was crying at Jesus' feet and she was uh, drying Jesus' feet with her hair. You know how vulnerable that is? Do you know why she did that? Because she knew that Jesus would not reject her, even though everybody else would. See, Jesus was the one, has the, uh, was the accepting Judas needed, and was looking for, but was the one that Mary found. See, if sin kills, and it does, 
is because sometimes we think that our sin is way too big to be forgiven. And here we know something that Mary at that time did not know. That later on she understood. Remember how he told you that she had already believed that Jesus was the Messiah? She had already known that Jesus was going to deliver them somehow. What she did not know was how. But we do. We know why there is a, a Lord's table. We know why there was bread on the table and wine at the table. We know why this is called a Passover celebration. See, when these people are celebrating Passover, they're remembering what God did in the past. They are remembering that at one time the Israelites were slaves to Egypt. They remember that God told the, the Israelites to kill and sacrifice a lamb. And to use the blood of that lamb to paint the post so they could be delivered. So punishment would not get to them even though they also deserved it. They knew that that was the celebration. What they did not know but we do is that that event was foreshadowing the cross of Jesus Christ. In which he was the lamb. He was the sacrifice, and it was his blood, not on doorposts, but in the cross of Jesus Christ. Do you know why? So we could be forgiven, so we could be accepted, so we could be welcomed, so we could be loved, so we could be redeemed, so we could find in Jesus everything that we so much wanted. That's something she did not know, but we do. And if she was transformed by the limited knowledge she had, what excuse do we have when we see that our Passover lamb died in our place even as we all know that we are like Judas? We have been just like him. We have sold them for the tiny little things we want. And yet Jesus chose to die for you. Let me finish with this. Rebecca uh, McLaughlin, she has a book called Jesus Through the Eyes of Women. And this is what she says about Mary. How do we see Jesus through Mary's eyes? We see him as the one who heals our hurts and meets our needs. We see him as the one who takes our sin upon himself and welcomes us with unimaginable love. We see him as the one who sees, who sees us even when others turn away and as the one who welcomes us to learn from him. We see him as the one who gathers up our broken hearts and bodies in his arms. We see him as the one who has the power to make us whole. We see him as the one who faced the terror of God's judgment on the cross so he could, so he could turn his face to us and call us into his everlasting life. You know why that's so important? Because Jesus didn't come 
live the life that you have not lived and die the day that you're supposed to die to make you better. He came to make you new. Not just better. Do you believe that? Let's pray. Wonderful Savior, how easy it is for us to see how much we have looked or look like Judas. How easy it is to see, Lord, that at times we still continue to struggle with the greediness of sin, the blindness of sin, the deceitfulness of sin. And the danger of sin. Lord, but we are also reminded that there's a reason why Jesus celebrated the Passover meal. It's Lord, so we could see that what we were looking for in our sin, you came to give and you came to accomplish and you came to secure. So I pray, Lord, that you give us minds like the one Mary had and hearts like the one Mary had in which she found in you everything that she was looking for. But I also pray, Lord, that you give us the mind and the heart that at that time, the time of the event, she did not have. But we do. In which we get to see Jesus and him crucified. The sinless dying in the place of Judas. So you could turn Judas into someone like Mary. Can you please do that in us? Take us to the cross. Allow us to see the blood of Jesus. Allow us to see the Lamb of God. Allow us to see his goodness and mercy and love. And then leave us there. Until sin starts or start to die. Leave us there. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the church says.